What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. What's up, everybody? We've got some pretty rad events coming up, and I definitely wanted to jump on here really quick and let you guys know about them. May 15th through May 17th in Sonoma County, California. It's going to be the last chance broadhead shoot. Um, it's a three-day event. Everybody gets in Friday afternoon, Friday evening. You know, we hang out, have a good time. Saturday is going to be absolutely awesome there's a pack race and all kinds of other fun events throughout the entire day and sunday is the actual broadhead shoot itself then following that on june 13th in reno nevada is going to be the deadeye outfitters golf tournament i don't have much to say about it unless you were there last year you already know it's insane I hope to see all you guys there. You can either follow West Coast Archery on Instagram at West Coast Archery Shop, or you can follow Deadeye Outfitters at Deadeye Outfitters to find out more about the events. And I look forward to seeing everybody there. Now we're started. How you doing, Jake? I'm damn good. You're damn good? You in the mindset? I'm in the mindset now. I had to reset there a little bit. I had to clear my throat. A little bit of bloopers right there. Blooper reel? Yeah. Played at the end. So, season 2019-2020. Let's just call it 2019 so we don't get confused. Confusing people is really fun, though. Yeah. It's decent. It is decent. So, it's wrapped up. We were in the truck. Leaving... Mm -hmm. The last sheep hunt right now. Yes, sir. We got the horses in the back. We do have the horses in the back. Headed down the old town road. Mm-hmm. How you feeling right now? I'm tired. I'm tired. Exhausted a little bit? I'm very exhausted, very tired. I'm very, uh, I can tell I'm going to get home and have like five days of organizing gear and cleaning everything up, and then I'm going to get real, uh, antsy. I think this is the busiest season I've had since I was 19 years old. Really? Yeah. In what matter of fact? Just being gone so much and hunting so much. Uh Uh-huh. So we started in... (coughs) Started in Owens Valley. Yeah. Yeah. We started in the Owens Valley the first week of August. Well, I guess when did we clean out the trailer? The the last couple days of July. That's right, huh? Yep. And so we, we started... Uh... I think I made the reference last night. Um, I started taking a shower every 10 days at the end of July. Yeah. And then been wearing dirty clothes, not showering, and hunting every day since. Just about. And now dirty clothes, what, what that means is basically wearing the same clothes. Since July. Yeah. Every, every like 10 or 15 days when you shower, you're changing. Yeah. Yeah. And like the... This is kind of <coughs> not really where we need to go with this, but it's like a pretty raw 
uh, gross smell. <laughs> Funky. Oh yeah, like you. Oh, it's okay. Go there. We were, we were just back, dude. We were just packing camp up, and we have all these wall tents and duffel bags full of gear, and you know several different horse trailers and trucks and everything else, and and everything just has like this smell of like an underlying smell of coffee and nut butter. Yeah. Yeah, or is that a cliff bar? I'm not really sure. <laughs> it's a cliff bar. I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I mean, sorry for my coffee. Um, yeah, we started. Do uh, you just want to run through the hunts and, and to do a little talk about every single one of them? Dude, we could. A little short story? Yeah. I mean, I think that'd be fun. Yeah. Owens Valley. Owens Valley. Jim came out. And I'm just going to go yeah. on my perspective of the season. Yeah. Because what I was doing and what I was involved with was different than everybody else. I took my hat off to take this more seriously. <laughs> um, so we started in Owens Valley with the multi-zone uh, Owen, <coughs> Owens Valley archery tag uh, with David and... Uh, David, uh, I forget exactly how old he is. He's over 60 and under 70. And uh, he's an archery hunter. And he's a fisherman. And he rolled into camp and he's full of uh, salt and just lipping off. And it was a pretty good time. And we covered the valley. It's about 100 miles long uh, of elk country. And then we had it whittled down to a few bolts that we wanted. One in particular was like real pretty and uh, kind of looked like a Rocky Mountain elk, which <coughs> was cool because he was real long on his tops and had some cool points up there. Big, long, huge fronts on him. Anyway, so uh, we kind of learned him for a few days and watched how he interacted with his cows and where he was going and what he was doing, when he bed down and all that stuff. And... Uh, David's like, hey, just so you know, you know, we don't need to kill the first day. And I'm like, you're right, we don't. But there's a decent, op- you know, there's a decent chance we're going to. You know, we have him dialed. And realistically, opening day, we're either going to scare him really bad or we're going to have a bull down. So anyway, uh, opening morning comes and we have Mark Fukuyi there who... Uh, Exceptional caller. Is a really, really good elk caller. For sure. He lives and breathes it, right? Yeah. And he, uh, we go out and it's myself, Dave, and Mark. And then we have a photographer there with us as well. His name's Jim. He's a total beauty. Beauty, not a booty. (laughs) Um, And uh, we had spotters, you know, around the valley. (coughs) I could name everybody on all these stories, but... I'm just going to keep it to the basics. And, and they had them spotted down the valley, and we're stalking it. <laughs> and Owens Valley is real flat, and there's tall grass. Anyway, so we stalked down through the tall grass, and, and uh, <coughs> the bull's with these, like, 20 cows, and he just won't come off, and, and they're real exposed, and we can't really get a good stalk. And so we're just staging in the shade because it's about 90 degrees. Uh, again, it's August, and the tule elk rut in August. Catch up on that real quick. And so the the bull all of a sudden pulls off the cows and he's headed to this wallow, which is like 500 yards from where the cows are. 
And so we're parallel to him about 200 yards from the wallow, and he cuts across, and he goes in the wallow, and he's flicking mud on himself and everything, but he's out in this middle of this meadow with the grass is like four inches tall. And uh, so I said, Mark out behind us, and we're behind some willow trees through this like little, uh, little like gully. And I'm like, okay, Mark, go over there and, and cow call. <laughs> and so Mark cow calls, cow calls, cow calls, and the bull doesn't even lift his head. And so I did this like awkward hand signal to Mark to tell him <laughs> to, to bugle. And uh, I mean, you can imagine how awkward that hand signal would be to tell somebody to bugle. And uh, and he just lets out a bugle, and and the bull just lifts his head, turns towards us, and just screams back. And then it was so cool. Mark just cut him off, didn't even let him finish his bugle, and just overlaps the bull. And the bull just got pissed, and he started trotting, pissing on himself, running across this big flat straight at us. And I was hunkered down with Dave, and, and Mark was probably 30 yards behind us. And Mark was, you know, winging around. You know, as the bull would change directions, Mark would pull him to where he's going to pull him in front of us. And the bull's lined out to come in front of us, and then he stops and takes a, a right to where he's going to go behind us around the other side of the willow tree. And so I just laid down on the ground with my face in the grass. I couldn't see a thing. And I could just hear this bull like 10 yards behind me sloshing in the water right behind me. Yeah. And I look up at the hunter, Dave, and his eyes are, are like super big. And I just whispered, I said, do you see him? And he just nods, yeah. And I said, well, shoot him. And he says, no. And then the bull runs off. And then he starts to run off and, and Mark Cow called and bugled. <laughs> and the bull turns around to come around the front of the bush now. And uh, John pulls back real quick and shoots at 30 yards. <laughs> and he hit the scapula, so he didn't get good entry. And the bull uh, thinks he's been fighting or whatever. Yeah. Just still pissed at whatever that was and just kind of walked off into the bushes. And Dave and I knew that that was our time. We needed to get another arrow quick. And so we ran, crawled as fast as we could and got out in front of the bull again. And then he just walked right in front of us. And I let Dave go in front of me and I said, he's going to be 50 yards. And didn't range him. And Dave just drew, pulled up above the sagebrush and drilled him and went 20 yards and the bull fell over. And uh, that was a surprise to me at the end of it. You know, well, it was only, epic to watch from where I was. Oh yeah. And, and Andy and a bunch of guys were, were me and Josh were sitting there glassing together that day I mean it was wild and, and I went pretty quiet so everybody was kind of just watching the elk and what he was doing and didn't really know I mean, correct me if I'm wrong yeah. didn't really know where I was yeah we didn't know where you were yet and they just saw the bull like re, you know reacting to calls and, and yeah. doing all this stuff and so they were just kind of making up the gameplay in their head and it was a pretty wild deal and anyway so that was hunt number one. That bull ended up scoring. It's number five in the world now, all time. For archery? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we went from that into our three white mountain sheep hunts. Um, long story short, we had a, a bunch of horses, a bunch of guides, and uh, trailed in for a couple weeks. Um, packing gear and scouting and then uh, the 
hunters got there and started with two in camp. Uh, Kyle <coughs> and Bill. Yeah. And uh, we went up on top with the two hunters. Um, sorry, so you park, you can get your truck to about 6,000 feet. And then we <coughs> trailed the horses in from there up to 13,000 feet. And we hunted. At elevation. At, at that elevation, 13,000. Yeah. And we'd split up and some people would, <coughs> you know, one group with Bill would go south and we'd go north and, and ended up finding a really, really good sheep for Kyle, which Kyle um, was the founder of Cal Wild Sheep Foundation and he was actually one of the original guys to start um, that hunt in the Whites and, and get the tags for there, which is a cool thing that he drew that tag was able to harvest a ram there. So we found the big ram with Kyle. Um, actually, sorry, real quick. Before we found the ram with Kyle that night, uh, one of my mules uh, kicked you. Not not his fault. Um, sorry, that thing was in the way. Not his fault, but he uh, ended up double barrel kicking me in the chest and really, really messed me up. I thought I was going to die on the mountain. Lacerating my liver, but we didn't know that at the time. We just thought maybe I might die, maybe I might not. Yeah, really, like it was pretty touch and go for a second. Anyway, the next morning, before I got kicked, we had found this big ramp, and he was fairly easy to get to from our northern camp, which is like um, a long, a long, long, long ways. Yeah, and so anyway, um, we hiked over there. I walked real slow over to the edge where we had seen this ram and he was below us at 380 yards Kyle felt comfortable with that shot he made an incredible shot on the ram and uh, we got that ram and he was really big uh, Boone and Crockett ram and then uh, we found this other really cool tight ram uh, that was old and that kind of tipped up and did like a full curl deal down further in the canyon that we were in and so um, three hours later on the inreach I texted the other group that was hunting with Bill and then they came up and met us and then uh, we kind of got in position and then helped Josh signal Josh into that ram with Bill and then Bill killed the ram the same day and then uh, everybody except myself Cade and Chris Suttlemeyer uh, hike down off the mountain because the ram was like down in the timber so it would be too much work to come back up to 13,000 and then go down to another draw and they just dropped out the bottom and we took the stock the horses and mules and went back and packed our camps and then rode off the mountain uh, and Bill's ram was my my 100th ram I was able to guide for uh, my 100th bighorn ram you know desert and Rockies so we're going to stop there for a second. Commercial break? No, no, not at all. Sorry. Leading and guiding 100 bighorns, what has that been like for you? Tiring. But great. <laughs> but great. Uh-huh. I mean, <laughs> you're catching me at the end of the season where everything is just makes me tired. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's... It's pretty cool, you know, that 
one thing about sheep, and I always make a joke, and it seems like I make the joke constantly, is it's like I wish I was hunting something that was a bit more normal. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Where like mule deer and elk and whitetail and all this stuff, like you can you can pretty much like if you're a good mule deer hunter, you can pretty much tell what they're gonna do. Yeah. And you can and you can get keen at finding big old bucks and you can and when you spook one you can know exactly how they're gonna run through a saddle and contour around and all that kind of stuff or, or yeah. dip down in the brush or whatever. But with sheep <coughs> It's it, they're always uh, it, they're always just random, and uh -huh. so it's like you always have to be ready for everything and uh, kind of expect the unexpected. Because anything can happen. Because anything can happen at any time, and they can go further. They can not move at all. Which or, I mean, how many times do we see that this season? Constantly. Rams blow out and run miles. Yeah, or they blow out and then run over a saddle and lay down. Yeah, 100 yards later, and or or all, all of a sudden they see you and they run at you as fast as they can, and yeah. then and then they're there at 20 yards downwind of you, you looking know? at you, yeah, staring at you, and so they're just it's weird. You'll find them in places where you shouldn't find them. <coughs> anyway, but what it's done for me is it keeps it's kind of trained me uh, in life in general to just never be surprised. Yeah. Which is cool. You know, like, you, every time your phone rings, you don't know exactly what it's going to answer. And, and I found out that it helps me in my normal day-to-day -day life to not get shook by the unexpected, but just to deal with it when it comes the best way you can and as fast as you can. Uh -huh. That's a big thing. Like, um, I had a conversation with Cade, which is one of our guides, and, and he runs all our horses for... Kika and Mike helps us get the right stock and trains them and everything else. Um, but he, uh, we were talking about what makes a good sheep hunter, and and it takes somebody who has incredible drive and has incredible, uh, well, incredible drive. Like you're super driven, super tough, never give up, and then have to have really sharp common sense in the ability to act on it very quickly uh -huh. to be successful and obviously you have to learn how to score sheep and learn you know when a sheep does a certain thing it means they're going to do something else you have to, and that's all learned but what you have to come into it is you have to be tough and you have to have really well good common sense and the ability to act on it quickly Because a lot of sheep hunting is just nothing more than just common sense because they're so random uh, you know it's like you just I, it's hard to explain anyway um, so we come out of the whites for a night okay we're going back yep I got sidetracked it's all right we come out of the whites for the night um, the doc the doctor told me I needed to <laughs> stay off my feet for two weeks um, but we had another hunt in five days. And so I sent the crew up the mountain that next day. So everybody gets off the mountain. They stay in a cabin that I had rented. And then they stayed there. They, they all showered. And then they went back on the mountain to scout. And I stayed in bed uh, getting kicked 
for four days, for three, three days. Yeah. Three days, and uh, and then it was game time again. So back on the mountain uh, with Richard and uh, hell of a guy. Yeah, great guy, and uh, just a passion for it, right? Yeah. And uh, for life. <laughs> and uh, so. Cade had some troubles with the horses and he was bringing a couple more horses and he didn't get in until about 9 p.m. that night. He had to trail them in to where we were um, about a two-hour trail and he didn't get there till 9 at night and we're like, well, we really, really, really you know, the crew up on top of the mountain was on a big ramp. Yeah. Um, and we had him and we put him to bed that night and we're like, well we have like a five-hour horse ride but we really want to be at that ramp first light so we got on the horses at nine o'clock that night and trailed in the five, like five hours or whatever. I don't know. It was long. We got into camp. The base, the the south camp, which is still six miles from where the ram was, uh, at about I don't know one in the morning. We slept for a couple hours and then woke up again. Uh, and y'all woke up at like three thirty that day. Yeah, I mean it was a couple hours of sleep. Maybe. Literally hour and a half, two hours. Yeah. And then we tacked up, got on the horses, rode the six miles north, jumped off the horses, stocked the ramp, and then uh, kind of lost him for a second. <laughs> and then refound him again at like 300 yards, 360 or... <coughs> yeah. It was between 300 and 400 yards. And uh, we're able to shoot him in the coolest spot I've ever killed a desert sheep. That was a pretty badass. It was like 12,000 feet and it's real rocky. And then there was this grass flat that was like 30 yards wide. Super green. And about 100 yards long. And it was like a lawn. Like, I mean, it looked like a manicured lawn. And there was snow on the one side and all these springs seeping up in the middle of it. Yep. And so we had fresh water. We had this ram in the grass and it was like 70 degrees. And we're all just laying out in the grass. I mean, it took us probably five hours to get off no probably four yeah. four hours to get off that flat just because we were all so comfortable and we had worked so hard so it was kind of just like a big relaxed moment so then we pack off the mountain there and uh, and then I was going up to Canada to meet my Canadian crew up in Alberta because we have uh, a couple bighorn tags up there that they run and uh elk and some deer tags that we have and uh, going up there I was going to go help <coughs> and just kind of be there um, to kind of like hang out monitor the situation I guess and help where I could and uh, the Mounties there at the border didn't let me through this year so I had a trailer full of horses um, all with their Canadian health certs and everything and a lot of money and they turned me around at the border so I stayed up in northern Montana for like two weeks um, I went down to Bozeman and hung out with Brendan from Kuyu and Jon Snow from Outdoor Life and a bunch of friends of mine and uh, and also just uh, was on the phone with uh, an immigration lawyer trying to figure out what was going on anyway uh, up in Canada they ended up shooting two great Rocky Mountain Bighorns and a great help, all with really, really great guys. 
and then uh, on my way home uh, I stopped in central Nevada and hunted with a really good friend of mine Nick Dowers who's a legendary horse trainer and horseman uh, both in cow horse and just starting colts and he had a, a general tag there in Nevada a muzzleloader tag and uh, he ha he ranches uh, around a million acres there uh, of lease land and uh, I didn't have anything going and so I just went out there and kind of lived in the mountains and his his cowboy had been seeing, seeing a really big buck for a long time uh, for a couple years and so for some reason this buck had exploded this year his cowboy had seen him when he was moving some cows and uh, so it, it took us 13 days to find that buck and then on the 14th day we shot him Nick shot him at 121 yards and uh, and that was a monster because yeah. you big buck contested me yeah and then I reneged and then I, I re and then you re-engaged so what happened was uh, Andy's like Oh, I'm going on a mule deer hunt in Utah, and I kind of knew that I was looking for a giant buck, and uh, and I was like, okay, big buck contest, and I was like, hundred bucks or something. Yeah. I was, and, and he's like, deal, game on. <laughs> and then he goes to Utah, and they shoot like a two twenty three or something. Two twenty eight. A two twenty eight buck, and then I just direct messaged him on Instagram, and I was like, yeah, never mind, I don't want to do the big buck contest anymore. <laughs> big buck contest over. Big buck contest over. Well, then <laughs> I find this big buck. And we kill him, and you know we taped him out a pretty tight tape, uh, green at 250 and three eighths. And I was like, "Big buck contest back on." <laughs> so now Andy owes me a hundred dollars. Yeah, you get fucked with that one. <laughs> anyway, I don't know why we need to curse about it. So now, did you leave? Wait, 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 wait. That was the biggest mule deer of your life. Yeah, most people. Biggest, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, he grows two. Ninety nine percent of any hunter that's ever hunted. Yeah, he grows two fifty and netted uh, two forty two, official SCI or not official SCI, two fifty or sorry two forty two net Boone and Crockett official after the sixty days. Uh huh. So it's a pretty big buck. What was that like for you? School. I mean, that had you had to feel something about that. Yeah, I mean, I was tired, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's hard, right? Because most of the time, to kill these big animals, you have to work so stinking hard for it that when it happens, you know, you're thinking more about how to get your life back on track mm -hmm. after not being in phone service for 13 days and not sleeping for 13 days, and you know, all your <coughs> quads and your trucks everything's broken and your horses need shod and everything's freaking warped and so all you know it's hard to um, even really let something like that sink in to be honest right you know you, and it still hasn't from, it seems like no it does it, it probably never will yeah I don't know um, maybe when I calm down and go to the shows this year well and that's how I feel about Brett's buck I mean that's a, a 228 non-typical stag is yeah. That's insane. Yeah. You know? And it's just kind of there. <coughs> that happened. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. Um, it's great, you know? The thing is, is with guiding and outfitting, uh, 
unless you're like just on some extremely awesome privileged privileged ranch or something um, like we have to work so hard to shoot these big animals on public land that a lot of a lot of things that are important fall to the wayside and so you're not able to appreciate the trophy as much as say if you went out and like just like saw him and shot him from a truck or something yeah you know because you have to catch up on your life and you have to make sure you it doesn't stop with no, the death you, of the animal yeah and you have to make sure that through, when you kind of ignored phone calls and, and was on this gnarly hunt that um, you maintain relationships and you keep everything working like yeah it's, it's a, so you know Goliath still hasn't sank in probably never will this buck never sank in probably never will uh-huh. some of the big elk we've killed never sank in probably never will you know killed a 381 Roosevelt elk in 2013 you know that's a giant that's an enormous elk yeah like top top four in the world probably yeah and uh, and that stuff just never sinks in and so did you leave from <coughs> that Nevada hunt and do another Thule elk hunt because there was another Thule elk hunt somewhere in between the Canada stuff uh, I feel like I need to reference pictures um I went from there into October. Yeah, that was the end of September. Yeah. Then I went into October. The first week in October, we, we did another Thule elk, Jake Berry and I. And uh, that was a really fun hunt. And because the bull was in these real tall reeds that we couldn't see through. <laughs> and he was like in the middle of them. And I had Jake Berry up on the mountain above me, and he was just killing it with signals to get us in on the bull. Uh-huh. And uh, it was like a jungle, and I'm calling at this bull, and for some reason he's re- receptive to calls, you know, a month and a half after rut. the rut. And anyway, he's coming, and he's pissed. And I actually ended up calling him, and then he turned and came through where we were in the reeds, so he had smelled us on the reeds, and then blew out, and then I cow called and bugled at him again, and he turned around, and I did that like two or three times where he'd set us in the runaway, and then we'd call him back in, just crazy, and then ends up popping out of the reeds, all these reeds hanging off his horns, and we shot him at 60 yards with a rifle, <coughs> and that was great, and that was a Boone and Crockett Tulioka which was cool and then uh, from there I went and uh, started scouting for the governor's tag archery sheep hunt for California Uh, spent probably two weeks out there before the season and uh, had this ram pattern down pat we called him flare I'd watch him every day because we're going to archery hunt him right yeah. And it's pretty hard. And when you have just really one target ram, you have to get it dialed, his movements. Anyway, so he would do these big circles around this mountain, which is not common for desert sheep to do circles. Like, that's a, not a common thing. And so they go, he's doing these circles, and uh, the hunt starts day one. 
the ram gets up from his bed and starts headed to the saddle and I was like Bill is the hunter Bill Tittle and he donated a lot of money to conservation this year and uh, I'm like Bill it's time let's go you know day one archery desert sheep I know where this you know ram's gonna go so we jumped on our mules and literally trotted across this big three mile flat get to the base of the mountain go 200 yards up the side of this huge open face and there's a rock pile and we just sat in the rock pile and Cade then took the horses out so they weren't there so it wouldn't distract the sheep and wind was in our face and I could tell everyone was kind of questioning me in that call because it was a little it was they're like oh he's on the other side of this ridge you could probably go stalk him and I'm like now now I'm going to go to that rock pile and I'm going to sit there and I'm going to be real patient and that ram's going to come to us. And I'm sure everybody that was watching through their spotting scopes were just losing their minds. This guy's fucking crazy. Yeah. And so it's just, Bill and I just sat there and uh, Bill had recently switched releases. Um, and his rest too. And his rest. He, he switched his rest and his release because it broke on a hunt previous on a bear hunt and he hadn't had time to really get used to him. Anyway, uh, really unfortunate timing on <coughs> the breakage of bow parts. So this big ram comes up, comes across, comes across, and finally he's 55 yards from us. And Bill goes to draw back and the release pre-releases and the arrow just like skips off these rocks and then lands under the ram. And then the ram just like looks down at the arrow and then looks back at us and just stands there. Well, we're pinned and we can't move. And the ram took two steps and then Bill drew again, had to let down. And then the ram was walking kind of away and he stopped and Bill released and he hit a branch and the arrow deflected. So we had two missed shots on opening day on the big ram that we had watched for two weeks. Anyway, um... I'm going to cut this from a really long story to a shorter story. Yeah. Um, I'm going to let Bill tell this story on your podcast. Yeah. Uh, three more extremely successful archery stocks and misses. Later, Bill and I had a uh, come-to-Jesus moment. And uh, we had a little powwow. <laughs> we were both pretty heated at each other, but we're good friends. And we're like, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't know, but I keep putting you on these rams. And he's like, yeah, and, and everything's fine. Like, I don't, you know, whatever. So anyway, we uh, decided to take one day off and go to the bow shop. Anyway, uh, his release wasn't doing... <coughs> everything was all messed up on his bow from his bear hunt. And so he would shoot two arrows super good and then the third arrow would be like a rogue arrow that would be like four feet off and so we got his doe his not doe we got his bow tuned back in but now we've lost our big ram completely and he ended up leaving the zone so uh we found our number two ram and he uh bedded one day and on the 10th day in a super vulnerable spot and a great spot to archery stock and we stalked 37 yards from him and Bill just plugged him and uh, we called that ram Rocky because he looks like a Rocky Mountain Bighorn. And that was Bill's Grand Slam ram and it was awesome. Archery Slam. Archery Grand Slam ram. Yeah. And uh, 
so that was great. And then, um, then we went to Tim's Hunt, uh, in the Marble Flipper Mountains. Had old, uh, Nick Morgan come out to help us from Arizona, and had a couple other people helping us, and it was a good hunt. And, uh, and I was up on the Doyle hunt while you were doing that hunt. Was it? Yeah, you were. Yeah. Uh, Andy, uh, I was supposed to go to Doyle muzzleloader, but um, I, I was going to get there the second weekend Yeah. and then hunt the sheep the first weekend, and he was going to go do the opener uh, with John, which is a good friend of ours, and uh, makes really good jerky, Carson's grandpa. Anyway. Yeah, Carson's grandpa jerky, shameless plug. Yeah. And uh, he... They went up and shot a really cool buck. It was a hard hunt on everybody involved, but they ended up shooting a really nice muzzleloader buck on day five. Also, rewind, we did a couple big mule deer hunts and a tule elk hunt in there as well, but I wasn't on those hunts. They were just Kika hunts. Yeah. Um, you know, Austin and Mark did a great tule elk hunt, and, uh, and there's probably other people I forgot. And then uh, Josh, Austin did some really cool deer hunts, and um, so uh, where what? Oh, uh, Tim's Tim sheep. Hunt. Tim's sheep. Uh, we found there's three rams, target rams in the zone uh, from all our summer scouting that were uh, we we thought that all three of them were Boone and Crockett, and we found one of them opening <coughs> morning. <coughs> Wasn't opening morning. Anyway, a couple days into the hunt, we found this big ram, <laughs> one of the three, and we went to stalk him, and we were coming across this draw, and Nick Morgan pulls a feather out of his hat somehow, and's like, oh my gosh, there's a ram down here, has us pinned, and we stopped, and we looked at this ram, and it, there's, you know, killed a lot of rams, and sometimes rams are just different. And they captivate you instantly. Yeah. And this ram that we had spotted was one of those rams. We'd never seen him before. So we all like freak out. And Tim loves him. We love him. We're all like totally in love with this ram. And we blow him out. And then when we're trying to find where we blew him out, there was that ram that we were originally stalking. You know, a book ram, like a really nice ram. And uh, I like pointed at Tim the ram and I was like but we're going to hunt that other ram because we're all obsessed with him he's like I agree that's awesome yeah and so we just waved at the ram sitting there at 250 yards and then we ended up making an awesome plan and the next day we found the ram made a really cool stalk pushed him to his limits and shot the ram at 230 yards also Nick made a great spot that day by the way and then uh, shoot the ram at 230 yards. Awesome ram, like all chipped up, super cool character ram. Uh, but he was all by himself. He was a small bodied ram and he had a little smaller basis than we thought and, and didn't, uh, you know, who cares about score, but he didn't score as big as the rams that we've passed. Uh, and that's the way it goes sometimes. Anyway, so we finished that and I went to the Owens Valley 
with Stephanie Lowe and Cade, and we scouted for Governor Tegbeer for a while. We saw a lot of giant bucks, and then I came back home, and then I went to Nevada and hunted with Bobby. Bobby brought his 93-year-old grandfather on the hunt, which was really cool. And that was a snowy desert sheep hunt. It was a foot of snow. Like, we were breaking trail when we were hiking. Yeah. And Chris Settlemeyer, who's the master guide there in Nevada, had thrown his back out a couple days prior to the hunt. So he he was still, like, hiking six miles a day, but he just couldn't do quite as much. And Chris uh, is a great dude, too. He's the best. He's a legend. Seriously. Um, and uh, we saw a lot of sheep. We had this ram that was really big um, really exciting for the caliber of rams that were in the zone that we were hunting and uh, we're stalking him and everything's going fine and then he sees us and runs straight at us and he he was in sight and then he went out of sight and then the next time he was in sight he was at 20 yards and just his eyes looking over this rock at us and then so he blew out ran over the ridge and another hunter shot him which was a bummer <laughs> and then uh, four, three, I don't know a few days later, ended up finding a really cool ram that had this crazy weird genetic, I've never seen a, hot, a ram go so high off his head and so far back uh, anyway, really cool ram and uh, Bobby and I had to make a blind stock on him, I had seen him like two or three hours before we went over this mountain and we're stalking and, and I'm like, he should be right in here somewhere. And Bobby's like, Jake, Jake, Jake. And there's this young ram below us at like 100 yards. And the young ram's seat looking at us and he's spooked. And then he, instead of running away from us, he runs towards us. Well, that was a sign to me that he was running back to the group of rams that he was with. Yeah. And there was 12 rams in the group. So I, I just grabbed Bobby and we ran straight at him. So this ram's running at us and we're running at it top out on this rock at 60 yards below us is a, a wad of 12 rams <laughs> oh there's only one shooter in the bunch and uh, so I just start at the back of the group and now they're running to the right and I started at the back and was just going through them and I'm like oh man this is going to be a hard call to make with my binos and then like 3 feet gap and then there's one ram out front and that was the, our shooter and I was like, Bobby, he's ram in front. He's like, the only ram by himself? I said, yep. And I, I bad at it. And it stopped and looked back and he freaking plugged it. Well, he shot. And, <laughs> and it was such a rush. Neither of us knew where he hit. And or then, if he hit. Yeah. And then there's just this ball of rams again. Yeah. And I'm glassing the ball of rams. And from, this is kind of gory, but from the center of the group of rams, there's just blood like squirting up. And I'm like, oh, you, you nailed him, Bobby. You nailed him. He's like, where'd I hit like, I have no idea. But he's hit really well. And then the ram falls out of the back of the group and falls over. And he had just hit a perfect hard shot. And, uh, and it was an emotional thing. Bobby's dad had passed um, like two months before the hunt. And they were all really excited to do a sheep hunt together. Three, you know, father, or father, son, and grandson all together on the same hunt for sheep. And uh, Bobby's father passed away, so Bobby's father's father was there at 93, Gene, 
Um, and anyway, so there was a, a flood of emotion that hit Bobby when he killed his ram, which is gnarly to see. So I went from there, loaded my horses. <coughs> I had one day to get to, sorry, two days to get to my next hunt. The desert camp. Into the Kingstons. I had a camp in the Kingstons, and the rest of our crew had another camp south in the Newberries. And uh, it started snowing really bad, and it was like six inches of snow on the road. And I'm in this pass, <laughs> like 50 miles from phone service probably. And I blew a wheel bearing, and uh, in my truck, calling my horses. So I turned around and. I'm pretty familiar with truck problems. Oh, back on the first hunt with Bill Tittle, uh, I blew my truck up. Yep. Blew my engine or whatever. And so I was in my backup truck, and my other truck is in the shop. Still in the shop since the middle of October, and now it's uh, middle of January. Still don't have my truck. Uh, anyway, so I'm in my backup truck, and wheel bearing goes out, so I limped it back to um, a, a farming, like a tractor shop, but it took me five and a half hours to limp it back to there, and so I limped it back to there, called, and it's super remote where I was, so I ordered the wheel bearing and had it uh, ship, or had a guy from Bishop, which is an hour and a half away, bring it. And then I woke up real early, took my wheel bearing off, and uh, went picked up the new wheel bearing, went, put my wheel bearing on, drove to the next hunt, pulled into camp the day before opener. And I'm like, hey guys, what kind of rams do you have spotted? They showed me the rams they had spotted, and I'm like, that's a great ram, stay on them tomorrow, we're gonna go look over here. So we go and look in this other canyon, and I found a really nice book ram. Uh, it was quite a long horse ride in. And then, so the next day, I'm, I'm like, okay, Steph was the one who found that other big ram. I was like, I found a ram that's for sure booked over here. And she's like, well, this one is really big and really nice, Jake, but I'm not 100% on him being good at Crockett. And I was like, well, I'm 100% on this ram. Let's go over there. And so, thankfully, she was the first one to spot this other ram when we went in that day. And she calls on the radio, and she's like, hey, Jake, uh, that other ram's bigger that I saw. And I was like, well, then there's no reason to be in here. By the way, quick story, we spent, it started raining and none of us had rain here. <laughs> we spent all day in this cave that we had found glassed up, hiked up to the cave, spent all day in there. At the end of the day, when the rain stopped, we were glassing and Andy went back in the cave and went to get his lunch <coughs> out of his pack and lifts his pack. And there's movement down by his hand, like fast movement. And he looks <laughs> and here's a rattlesnake, not rattling, Oof. trying to bite his hand. And we had been in this cave for five hours. I've been sleeping on that snake. We had snake. been sleeping in a cave with this snake all day. Uh. Anyway, super creeps. Um, so that was wild. And then uh, we go over to the other side of the mountain. And I look in the spotting scope. And I see this really pretty, beautiful ram. Steph found it. And I'm like, oh yeah, he's a shooter for sure. Steph's ram was gorgeous. I'm like... And that ram is awesome. That's beautiful. And then she's like, Jake, that's not the ram. And I was like, yeah, it is. Like, you said he's around 168 to 170. That's our ram. 
and he's super pretty and he's got the chips in the right places and she's like that's not our ramp and I was like she's like hold on let me oh there he is she's like oh he's up to the right and I pan up to the right and then my jaw dropped and I'm like holy crap <laughs> I just looked at Mike the hunter and I was like we're going I call said, your friends I said call your friends get him over here we're going to stock this ramp if you don't shoot this ramp I'm going home and leaving you in the desert and so we went up there did a crazy stock I, I had to keep flagging these sheep because as we were stalking it sheep were popping up all over um, you had quite a technique to do that yeah I had a paper towel and I just draped it over my binocular pouch and then the rams like we'd blow a sheep and I just put the the paper towel over my binocular pouch and they'd see the white and then they'd just go back to feeding and gentle up again it was weird yeah anyway go stock and man it was it was over 400 yards was it 500 his shot yeah 510 I think 510 incredible anyway sheep are going way up this mountain that was like god forbidden he makes a 500 yard shot incredible shot ram drops go up there the ram started to get bigger 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 which anyway. before you go on to some other fucking tangent you said that that's a rare thing. I mean, rarely do you walk up on a ramp and it gets bigger every time you look at it. Yeah, super handy. It hadn't happened to me since, like, 2011, which is a long time. That's a long time. You know, it's, it's it was really nice. Yeah. Really refreshing. So, anyways. You kept getting bigger. Anyway, that ram uh, fishing game got him at 176 and a half, which is great. And, uh, and then we got the call that they had spotted uh, Flair, the ram we originally hunted with the governor's tag guy down south. <coughs> and, uh, but they were having a couple, some trouble with uh, two of the horses. And so we loaded up our horses and left at 3 o'clock in the morning from our camp, went down to their camp. And then I got on the horses with Josh and the hunter and his wife. We rode to the top of the mountain. Uh, stalked the ram. Uh, I, we all spotted Josh and Doug stalked the ram and shot the ram. Uh, super pretty ram, Winnie Crockett, like incredible. And then, uh, and then, uh, and then it was break. like a break. Yeah. What is that like for you to get a break like that? Um, <coughs> weird. All I want to do is just sit on the couch and do nothing. Yeah. So I just feel like a lard. And I have camps all scattered through the desert and all the stuff in my head and stuff. And well, stuff. Christmas coming up. Christmas and trying to get presents for people. And so I I, uh, I went on a family vacation with my family. We went to the NFR in Vegas, which is always fun. And then had my daughter over the Christmas. And then the day after, actually Christmas night, not Christmas Eve, Christmas night, I loaded the stock trailer with gear and left my horses at the house and went and took Dane Christensen, uh, the guy who he had hunted with us in 2014 for Tule Elk. It was his first ever big game animal. He drew the Tule Elk tag. His second big game animal was an Oracopia sheep. With six points. With six points. And he, uh, had recently moved to Hawaii 
had all these, you know, all doing all this stuff with his family and new jobs and all this different stuff. And so he had five days to hunt. And he told me, he's like, Jake, I need to get my tag back. I need to get my tag back. No, don't do that. We'll get you a ram in that amount of time. So it was raining and storming. And so it was like day three. And we were getting like pretty stressed. And then Dane and I were stalking, just stalking, spotting essentially yeah. just like stalking on this ridge line that I knew there was sheep on and spotters everywhere we'd seen like two sheep out in front of us uh, Andy and Jeff and, um, <laughs> that Andy and Jeff were like joking they're like you know how this is going to work right Jake's just going to find a ram and go kill it bang and tell us and all we're going to hear is just a gunshot and that's what happened I, I just creeping along and I look over this ridge and I see this ram bedded I range him. He's 140 yards bedded facing us. Well, what's so funny about well, that's happening, like immediately, like exact time frame, Jeff spots a ram from where him and I are sitting. And we start glassing it. So, well, I, I sat there for a long, like an hour. Yeah. And I didn't text anybody or anything. Uh, I, text, I got a text out to Jake Garrett from Blythe and he'd come around and he was there to help and, and he cooked us an amazing carne asada. Yeah, and, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, super handy. It's cool to have him there and his dad was there as well. Um, so, I'm sitting up there and about 40 minutes in, Dane just like moves his rifle to readjust and the ram caught a reflection off his scope, I'm guessing. It just snapped his head and looked at us. 140 yards is pretty close. And uh, so now the ram's on to us, and he stops chewing his cud. And I'm looking through my spotting scope at him, and I can just watch him slowly swallow his cud and just stare at us. And I'm like, oh, great. So then I'm watching, watching, watching. And then he jumps up and stretches and then starts trotting straight at us again. And he finally... But he's straight underneath us, like on this cliff, and he's like 85, 90 yards, and he gives us like a quartering shot. And I was like, Bop. I bat at him real loud, and he stopped, and Dane just shot him, drilled him, done. It was awesome. Another really, really nice ram, super heavy, cool flip, like cool, tight to his head, but you know, come right back up, full circle. Uh, that was really cool. And then um, I went home for one day. New was, Year's. Which was New Year's. Went to the neighbor's house, celebrated New Year's. And then the next day after that, uh, we hauled camp to the Marble Clipper Mountains, where we just got done hunting. And spotted some rams up on this plateau that we always hunt. And... Uh, opening day we go up there and here's one of the three biggest rams in the zone that we had scouted out like I talked about earlier and he's one of the three and then for whatever reason this is super rare we had myself and two spotters on the ram and we all took our eye off the spotting scope for a second and there's three rams and they're all bedded super gentle and we all look back in our scopes and they're gone 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 and they had to they had to run as fast as they could possibly run to get out of our sight. <laughs> yeah, so we were real confused at what happened. 
no way they winded us or saw us or anything. So we spent five days riding 70 miles on horses and hiking hundreds of miles on foot to uh, finally Andy spotted him again in the bottom of the canyon, stalked him. Oh, that morning though, we see these rams acting the same way that that ram was acting the first day. And then all of a sudden we see this coyote as fast as lightning comes into my spotting scope and starts chasing these rams. And he's chasing them around like a, just like those African National Geographic shows. I mean, it was insane. Yeah. And so that's kind of what we think happened that first day. These coyotes are, for whatever reason, deciding that they can catch rams. They're hunting them. So we're going to go predator hunting. Anyway. <laughs> Time to kill some dogs. Um, so Andy spots the ram, and, and we tried to make a play on him that night. And same thing, he just kind of got a hair of his butt and just stood up and ran off again. Yeah. <laughs> really weird. And everybody's super far from him. This time he went two canyons over, but he... But I caught, you know, they lost him pretty instantly. And then I relocated him. And then I knew I had Andrew over that way. And so I had Andrew just run to the nearest peak, get on the peak, and then tell him the direction to look. And he ended up seeing, picking him back up. And we put the ram to bed in a perfect place to stalk. And he was so old, and he had a broke back leg that was like probably two years old. Yeah. It kind of bugged him, so he didn't like to walk that much. We didn't have an ass. There was no meat on it. Yeah, no. There was like no carne. It's a turtle butt. Turtle butt. And uh, so we took the horses and rode them up this mountain with John the hunter, who was 70, and come over the ridge. And the ram was just super keen. So it took us 30 minutes, 40 minutes to an hour just to get a pack on a rock and a rifle on the rock to where John could set up to shoot because the ram was so keen. Any small movement, he'd rip his head. So it took us forever, but patience pays off. And got a shot. Got a shot in his bed. Blew right through him, hit a rock behind him. And Kate and I kind of thought he'd hit high. But we just said, go ahead and relax and reload and get another round in him. And he's standing, and he shoots, and it looks high again. And we're like, John, you're hitting just a little high. You know, go ahead and reload and try again. And he shoots again. And then he shoots again. <laughs> Four shots. And the ram falls over and dies. And we're like, yeah. So we go over there. Well, the ram was so skinny, and there's no meat on him or anything. Those bullets were just whizzing through him so fast. And then they'd hit the rocks up on the hill behind him that and he wasn't reacting to it he just no reaction no flinch or anything to the anyway they're just zizzing through him john put a group together about five inches into his boiler room yeah, it's like a pie shots. plate yeah like a pie plate right in the boiler room at 310 yards four shots it was awesome really cool ram you know in the 170s Boone and crockett ram 11 years old that was my season, I think. Yeah. What'd you think of eating all the peak refuel meals? They were great. Did you like those? I love them. They're pretty good, man. Yeah, I love that one with the pesto in it. The new one. I don't know which one it is, but yeah. it had... I want to say it's chicken pesto. Yeah, like you pasta. open it, and there's like... <laughs> like, it's like 
almost like there's some like oil in it or something. Yeah. So good. Super oh delicious. Gosh. Makes my eyes, not my eyes water, my mouth water. Uh huh. <laughs> and you're talking about freeze dried food when you say that. Yeah, which is crazy. Yeah. No, it's well, crazy. like we ate a lot of it this year, like subbing all our, all our backpacking hunts. Um, we did it all the white mountain hunts we did it and then it's so good right like you can open a, a big can of it and uh, like I'm we outfit right so we feed a lot of people and so I would I do um, like the number 10 cans and we'd open a can and have salad and garlic toast and people just think it's just a normal meal yeah it's you great. can't tell that it's a freeze dried meal no. yeah it's great which is pretty neat yeah that's for damn sure. So, the Dead Eye question, Dead Eye Outfitter sponsors podcast. You know this, okay? Uh, Dead Eye Outfitters is an apparel company. Okay. They do not actually outfit or guide hunts. Uh-huh. They outfit your lifestyle clothing. Okay. Right, hats, shirts, shots. Socks. Socks or shots. <laughs> or shots. Okay. They're really good at drinking. Um, What's the dead eye question? So the dead eye question is, looking back, right? So now you're 108, 109 rams? Nine. Yeah. 109 rams. Is there anything in your guiding career that you would have done differently? looking back now with the experience that you have yeah yeah there's lots you do different there's there's two ways to look at it though uh, would you do things different on how you hunted or would you do things different on your lifestyle and how your life was laid out which one do you want whatever one you want to give oh man that's not it's not any fun um the biggest thing, um, and I think it can help other people, so everybody know, like Andy, Nick, Morgan's in the truck. What up, Nick? What's up, guys? You're next. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, everybody knows I get, I'm, like, pretty deep, and I care about uh, helping people quite a lot. So, um, the, the biggest thing I would change with my guiding career is how you uh, interact with your family while you're guiding. It's really easy to take um, relationships for granted and think things are expected without any effort into them. And you can damage relationships and friendships and marriages and, 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 right? Yeah. And with any career guiding anything it takes a lot of your mind to be successful at it but you have to designate time for the things that are important which is your family right and so that's something that I would do differently is I would actually designate time attention attention like quality attention it doesn't matter if it's going to make you unsuccessful um, you know, like, uh, 
this. Um, like in, uh, like in, ow. Um, Why are you poking yourself with a cactus? Sorry, I just got poked by a cactus in a truck. <laughs> um, like in your marriage, if you don't uh, put your wife before everything else, like in the Bible it says, you know, once you're married, you put your wife first if you want a healthy and successful marriage. Yeah. Um, what that looks like is um, you're in the middle of a hunt, in the middle of the mountains, and your wife needs you. It doesn't matter what position it's going to put you in or whatever else. If you want to be successful in your marriage, you have to put her first. Above your kids, above everything else. Now, if in not doing so, you're not going to have a healthy relationship. It's not to say you won't be married for the rest of your life, but to have the healthiest relationship possible, you know, guys have to put their wives first. And when you're hunting, that's hard to do. And I'd do that different. Yeah. So. Yeah. Right on. I think this is when you talk something, you ask me a question or something. I mean, it could be, or I just let that resonate. Okay. You know what I mean? You and I were talking a little bit about, you know, wife first stuff the other day, the importance of that. I've never been married. Yeah. You know, almost married once. Yeah. But it didn't happen. Yeah. You know, so I'm just listening to what you're saying now and processing. Yeah. I've it. been blessed with a lot of wisdom. Uh huh. And it, uh, at a very young age. Yeah. Yeah. And I attribute a lot, all of it just hunting sheep for a living it's been wild because I hunt with some of the most successful people in the world on the planet for sure yeah and I get to talk to them about the wisdom they've gotten and how they've gotten to where they are and uh, and I've seen a lot of successes and failures and then in my shortcomings um, God's blessed me with uh, the school of hard knocks and those things yeah. You know, um, like, you know, I have an amazing family, and now I'm divorced. And it wasn't all my doing, and it wasn't all her doing, but guaranteed, you know, Kristen and I both come out of it with so much wisdom that we can help other couples get through stuff like that. Yeah. You know, and, uh, because we made all the mistakes so other people don't have to. You know what I mean? Isn't that a great way to look at it? Oh, dude, it's the only way to look at it. Otherwise, you're... you got to look at your entire life like yeah. that. Yeah. I get it. No, and if you don't, you're going to you're gonna see the bottom of a bottle every night or you're going to... If you, you know don't, I mean? if you don't, in my opinion, if you don't, then what the fuck was the point of going through it? Well, yeah, and it's just really hard. Like, when you think the world's out to get you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it makes life hard, but the reality of it is life is <laughs> life is out to get you, and life's yeah. not fair. Never. And, you know, and... Life's going to happen no matter what. And so you have to look at all your blessings, and... and Constantly. I, yeah, because, I mean, you're not looking at what's good in your life. You're looking at what's bad and how it is good, you know? And well, you have to... And how it's going to change into good. Like, how great are seeds? They're not that great. But you plant them in the ground, and they'll grow into something special later. Right. And sometimes, like when we're 
it, when we have real hard times, like you just look at it like a seed. The seed's planted, and right now it really sucks. But if I keep it watered and keep positive about this deal, it's going to grow into something, and it's going to help other people. Well, and how much? Yeah, exactly. Down the road, how much is your experience going to benefit others, dude? Yeah. Countless others, yeah. and help countless other people. Maybe step them off the wall of suicide. Maybe step yeah. them out. You know what I mean? All yeah. different areas. That's it. for me. That's how I have to deal and treat my alcoholism. Yeah. You know what I mean? My past is bedrock of my life that I have today. My yeah. past, where I come from, what I've been through, all my bullshit is bedrock that I can stand on today. Yeah. Where I can help and benefit those that might be going through similar or same experiences that I went through 10, 15, 20 years ago or even a year ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I I dig that. Oh, for sure. I totally dig that. It's the only way to do it. Yeah. (laughs) I tell you what, like, hardships are just lessons, right? Yeah. So... Kika 2020. Yeah. Sheep show starts in a week. Yeah. What's on the agenda? Well, uh, we're not slow. I have like a week off probably. I do. I have a week off, but I have to get everything ready for sheep show. Go to sheep show, come out of sheep show, go to Grand Slam Club show, and then uh, do some hunts in Mexico. And then we start our uh, new deal um, in Central California on the Jack Ranch, which is owned by the Hearst Corporation. It is a very exclusive, awesome ranch. Yeah. And we have coordinated with the Jack Ranch, and we're going to be doing um, just a very select amount of these pig hunts where... They're all horseback on a working cattle ranch, and it's more like glamping where you're staying in. You stay in a lodge one night in a really nice wall tent camp the next night, and you have campfires, you eat homegrown, or not homegrown, but local beef off the ranch, you know, big prime rib steaks. You can shoot as many pigs as you want, as long as you have tags for it, and we're hunting off horseback. You know, if you want, you can use our lever guns. Uh, We use Henry repeating arm lever guns it's pretty fun hop off a horse and just shoot pigs and we actually stock them on the horses um, and then if we need we'll hop off and top out on a ridge or whatever but it's a wild thing man well it's like a wild west experience yeah not even wild west it's just you know organic california man like yeah people don't realize that you know the vaquero horsemanship style and cow horse and cutting horse and all these um, eccentric and, and beautiful like all this horsemanship came from California and and there's incredible ranches and incredible cowboys and um, anyway long story short we're trying to keep things western we're doing it in a fun way um, their group hunts five guys five up to five guys um, five hunters yeah five hunters uh, we we don't like mix up the groups right so it's it's essentially one group of Books guys that hunt. all have to be together or whatever. Um, and uh, it's a fun thing, man. It's super fun. Like, 
it'll come out of it as being one of the funnest hunts of your life for sure what yeah. else you, what else you got uh, anything you're anticipating no no just getting ready for it gearing up yeah gearing up for it I mean uh, you know I'm excited about our Nevada hunts that's exciting uh-huh. uh huh obviously always excited about California Alberta is always great uh, we have some opportunities opening up in Arizona and so uh, yeah it's all good um just trying to keep it western and keep the you know I always joke around with Kate and, and we talk about you know if, if we don't keep people honest who's going to do it you know and so we're just trying to be as honest as humanly possible with our methods that we hunt you know we just work a lot harder and uh not than anybody else, but we just work really hard and do it, you know, like an honest living, you know, people are like, oh, I'm making an honest living, you know, it's like hard working, it's doing it the right way, uh, it's being organic about it, and there's something in the Western world uh, that is important to me, and uh, so Kika's going to keep it Western, you know, uh, hunting on horseback, doing stuff like that isn't just making it easier for people. It's not just a tool. Um, it's also a way of life and it's an art and it's important that it stays alive. And so don't look at how you can get llamas or pack goats or how you can backpack better. I freaking get out and be western about it and I support it a thousand million percent not everybody can but it's really special when you can and my goal is to keep things western and, and to keep the southwest alive I guess now the northwest yeah just the west you know we we kind of got a you know thanks for tuning into the show folks if you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button. Right on. How can people look you up? You can't. You can't Not at all. You can't doesn't exist. You hear that, everybody? Jake Franklin doesn't exist. No, I don't want you to start this podcast like this. Rewind. Let's <laughs> do it real. <laughs> that was real. I wasn't ready. Okay, we're stopped. No, we're not.